Chapter 7, A Date to Remember Handing the itinerary to Sane, Artemis explains how the entire day is laid out for them. The shopping, food, even where and when she wants her first kiss. Everything has a time, a place, and a reason. Leaving nothing to chance, the elven princess perfectly maps out their entire day in the elven capital of Cortesh. Eight hours of activities, planned so succinctly that Sane doesn't have room to relace his boots. This is exactly what I meant when I said you are too controlling, Sane snickers. Oh, this is not controlling, Artemis disagrees. Controlling is spending your entire life, every moment of the day, pausing, she realizes there might be some truth to his words. Okay, maybe I'm a little more controlling than I should be, but I'm not as bad as my mother. Great. More things for you to aspire to, Sane states sarcastically. I don't appreciate your attitude about this. I make your life better, and this is how I get thanks? No wonder Uncle always says poor people are the worst. Look, Princess, I know you're trying to be nice. Well, really, I'm just assuming you aren't being as stuck up as you sound. But please stop making changes to my life. I happen to be content on my own, Sane attempts to explain. Only if you give today a try. Deal? Artemis pleads. All right, just don't let it break your heart when you fail, he cautions her. As controlling as Artemis can be, she still wants Sane to be happy, or rather, content with his new circumstances. Looking around, Sane realizes he's never been in this part of the merchant's district before. As a child, he was never allowed to venture out into the affluent parts of the district, but the lower half, well, he knew. Instead of wooden booths cramped together with hundreds of bustling people around, the more wealthy merchants in this area each have their own building, neatly filled with a large variety of products and goods. Empty streets make it almost eerie to stroll about, and if it wasn't for the beautiful decorative buildings diverting the attention of onlookers, it might have been. Click clack. A pebble falls from one of the many roofs in the area. And for the first time this morning, Sane notices the three guards following them through the upper district. Normally, they would be better concealed from the public, but in this case, it is only Artemis they're hiding from. Allowing themselves to be visible to the civilians in the area serves as a warning that although the princess is under guard, she is not to be disturbed. Thinking back, Sane can't remember a time alone with Artemis making this the first time where they weren't swarmed by people wanting to see their adored princess. You look distracted. Did you notice our guards or something else? Artemis asks plainly. Our guards? Sane asks, puzzled by the idea of him, a guard, needing the protection of another. Shaking the thought from his mind, he continues, Why do they hide only from you? Realizing that they're attempting to hide from her. I'm forced to have protection by order of the queen, but that doesn't mean I have to see them, she explains. So you don't see me as protection then? No, of course not. First off, you're unarmed and wouldn't be very good protection even if you tried, not without your mighty bow, she enumerates for him. Sane sighs. I guess that's true, he replies, thinking about the dagger he has concealed under his shirt. Here we are, the tailor's shop, Artemis points out eagerly. Sane looks up at the two-story building. Is it full of clothes, he asks, shocked at the idea. Oh, well, no. Didn't your mother ever take you to a clothing store, Artemis asks with a smile of amusement. Sane's face stiffens as he looks at her once or twice, 
You'll love it, she exclaims, pulling Sane in through the door. Tables fill the store categorized by the gender they're made for and by the type of clothing they are. Books stacked on books line the tables, each with illustrations and bookmarks. Informational signs fall from the ceiling held by colored ribbons. Purple ribbons hold the chalkboard signs for the males and pristine white ribbons hold the signs of the female elves. Books? I thought this was a clothing store, Sane inquires over. It is. All of these books contain pictures of clothes and outfits. Then, when you find one you think suits you, the tailor goes upstairs, find one similar to your size, and you can try it on. That sounds overly complicated. Do you actually enjoy this? Yes, I do, Artemis states as her expression fades into disappointment. We can do something else if you'd rather, she asks, glaring down at her itinerary. No, it's fine. I'll be your doll for a few hours, Sane responds with the rolling of his eyes. Good, she smiles. Sane can't imagine a place he'd rather not be more than a clothing store playing dress-up. But upon seeing the rarity of Artemis, happy and smiling, it makes his embarrassment strangely worth it. The tailor is a valley dwarf, one of the few to live in high class and in the city of Cortesh. His name is Ives, and he seems well-cultured with his trade a very accomplished dwarf of Kelsic. As a valley dwarf, he grows no facial hair. As a tailor, he wears a single monocle and has a thimble on the pointer and thumb of his left hand. A purple velvet vest covers over his orange silk shirt. His sleeves roll up and out of the way. Oil slicks his red hair back, and a loose white numbered band swings upon his neck. To Artemis's surprise, Sane only picks out three colors of shirt, cream, white, and off-white. To him, they're all the same color, and that's exactly what he wants. White. It's the color he's worn his entire life. White is simple and clean, the only color worth wearing when you aren't working. This also aggravates the tailor to no end. As a high-end designer, Ives lives for the complexity of the rich, a quality Sane does not possess. After an hour of the dwarf arguing that the clothes are too loose and Sane trying to convince him they don't need to be tailored, Sane and Artemis finally take their leave. Ive remains irritated and confused with the young man's insistence on not having the clothes tailored. As they are leaving, Sane again notices the guards hiding in the area. So what's next, he asks. Artemis answers with her own question. You do know Ives gets a tax write-off for every garment purchased by the royal family. Well, you could have mentioned that prior to our visit. Now I feel like a jerk. I never would have guessed you'd be so uninterested in clothes. Is it a guy thing or just you? I, th I think it's a guy thing. Well, obviously not all guys. The dwarf obviously likes clothes. True. So what's next? Sane asks again. Well, I guess we have a couple hours to spare, Artemis conveys disgruntledly. How much time did you give this exercise? Only three hours. It only took you a third of that. Wow, I suppose I'll have to find something for us to do then, Sane accepts with a sly smile. Um, I'd rather not, Artemis begins to say before he continues. Have you ever practiced archery in your studies? No, I have not, she hesitates. Really? It's something every elf is taught in the fourth grade before we even choose careers. Not for those of royal blood. We are not permitted to handle weapons, she explains, holding her head high. Did you know that for human culture, the king rides out into battle with his men? It is a sign of honor, 
courage, and faith in his commands, Sane points out. That's foolish. Who would lead his kingdom if he were to die? Well, a wise king is often surrounded by the mightiest soldiers, so that such a thing does not occur. Well, I am not human, she expresses with pride. The giants to our north decide their governor by means of a series of physical feats and use of prowess on the field of battle. They are barbaric and brutish, she retorts, and yet they are said to be the happiest and most kind-hearted people in all of Azurus, Sane offers in reply, probably thanks to their small brains. The goblins, if the legends serve us right, choose their king according to who can produce the mightiest warriors as their offspring. Gross. Where did you learn all of this? Artemis inquires of him. I was training to become a guard of the royal palace. If we are to defend you from all possible foes, we must know their weaknesses. But we are at peace with all eight races of Azurus. Artemis presses deeper. Eleven races, actually. You're forgetting Trelings, Dragons, and the Zhao. Eight. Dragons are a myth, plain and simple. The Zhao have been missing for over a hundred years and are probably extinct, and your Trelings don't appear to everyone except the gnomes and fawns, so they probably don't exist either. For all we know, they may have been wiped out akin to the Zhao centuries ago, Artemis counters. True, but I'd rather be prepared than not, Sane explains, knowing full well that the Trelings dislike elves for the same reason Sane dislikes Artemis. Arrogance. Artemis pauses for a moment. I have a counterproposal, she informs him. And what is that? he asks curiously. I'll let you go do your arrow thing if you teach me about, she pauses, trying to make a decision, humans. You want me to teach you about humans? Sane questions with a chuckle. As future queen, it could be useful to know more about our queendom's allies, she explains. Queendom? The monarchy falls to whoever is chosen by the current monarch. It very well could have been one of your brothers chosen. That's why it's the land of Kelsic. Deal or no deal? Artemis asks, growing impatient. Fine. Archery, then history. Deal, she agrees, before tossing her itinerary in the wind and shaking his hand firmly. Come on, you can't even pull back a 50-pound bowstring? Sane complains as Artemis fails to pull back yet another bow. I'm sorry, I don't have the muscles you do, Artemis retorts. Can we get a smaller bow over here, Sane calls out, before releasing three consecutive arrows into his target. Wow, nice grouping, the attendant states, impressed with Sane's skill. We only have one other bow, but it's meant for children. Perfect, Sane commends the attendant as he hands her the bow. Give me that, Artemis exclaims in an irritation. All I have to do is hit the target, right? Sane looks directly at her before releasing another bow. Yep, the arrow hits the target dead center once again. Artemis looks back at him in amazement. Her target is at least three times closer than his, and he hasn't missed even one of the 50 arrows he's shot so far. Archery stands are positioned between 10 and 120 yards outside. Only the stands are covered, leaving the wind as a factor. Her target is 10 yards away, the closest they'll allow it to be. Whereas Sane targets around 90 yards away. Determined to hit her target, Artemis focuses on lining her finger and the center of the target as she pulls back her bow and... Complete miss, the attendant jeers. Would you care for a larger target? No, Artemis states firmly. 
Ease up. You're too tense, Sane encourages her as she pulls the bow back again. I do not ease up, she exclaims, releasing another arrow which hits the target of the ten-year-olds next to her. Lady, you should stick to being a princess, the young elven girl advises. Was this your goal, Sane, to embarrass me? Artemis fiercely asks him. No, in fact, I didn't even expect you to try, he confesses, letting a sixtieth arrow into the target and breaking it in half. I just needed to release some stress. Now that's done, can we go now? Artemis begs, pinching her nose in irritation. Yep, I'm all done here, Sane agrees. Leaving the archery stands, they head out to the place to eat lunch when Sane notices something's off. Without frightening Artemis, he looks around. One, two, he counts to himself. There were three guards earlier at the tailor's shop, and the same three when they entered the archery stands. Sane regains speed and catches up with Artemis, who is pacing faster than normal due to her embarrassment at the archery stands. What do you want? She turns and asks. Nothing, just thought it would look better if we walked together. Right, she agrees. Let's keep walking. I'm hungry, Sane adds, gently turning Artemis around. Food, right? Artemis recalls. I know just the place. The two young elves shortly arrive at a large restaurant overlooking one of the many canals that flows through Cortesh. The building is older than most, but well-maintained, with several large windows lighting the place naturally. An easy place for the guards to keep an eye on them, or anyone for that matter. A quaint aroma of noodles, cheeses, and spices wafts through the door each time they're opened. The last waterfront eatery is plastered above the door, a statement to both its age and timeless venue. As is to be expected of a place Artemis would choose, it's packed full, yet somehow there's a table for two waiting just for them. Sane immediately starts studying his menu and weighing his options. Artemis, on the other hand, doesn't even glance at her menu. Instead, she sits there staring out the window of the scenery outside. Sane simply ignores her and continues with his studies. A few moments pass before one of the staff members arrives to take their order. What would you two young elves like to order? The waitress asks, eyeing the royal couple. We'll have two bowls of your lobster bisque, Artemis answers for the two of them. Sane shuts his menu. Just what I was thinking, he claims in irritation. All right then, the waitress adds awkwardly as she takes the menus. Did you desire something else? Artemis asks him. I ordered the bisque this morning before we left, she informs him. Apparently not. Why do you care about making decisions so much? It's our choices that define who we are. When you take that away, you take away what makes us individuals. Strange, Artemis responds curiously. The two sit there awkwardly as Sane fumbles around with his silverware and leans back in his chair. Artemis folds her hands in front of her face, looking straight down at him, waiting patiently for him to look back at her. Sane tries his utmost to ignore her, but after a few moments of silence, he gives in to the pressure of her stare. With a deep sigh, Sane asks, Why do you want to learn about humans? Do you remember the history of Azarus, specifically when it spoke of how each of the many races came to be? Artemis asks, her eyes focusing with intensity on Sane. Yes, Sane replies, growing eager. I was reading over parts of the revised historical text, she adds, stopping for a moment. So... So I found something strange. Look at this, 
Artemis claims, pulling out a folded piece of paper, on it the original words of the history of Azarus. It read as follows. There was once a species, though, that always seemed to be a step ahead of the rest. They were creative and resourceful, always able to use anything to their advantage. As that, humans had great potential for anything they put into their minds, be it good or wicked. Sane looks at her, okay, why are you showing me this? I've read it before. Every elf in the land of Kelsuk had to memorize it by the fourth grade. You don't see it? It's right there, she points to the three dots on the paper. The ellipsis? Yes. Do you know what they mean? No, Sane confesses, returning to the paper. It means some of the original words were omitted from the revised text, Artemis explains excitedly. So part of it is missing. Correct, she commends him. I was hoping you knew. It actually occurs several times throughout the first chapter of the historical texts. That's odd, but now that you mention it, I do remember seeing those. Teachers always explained it as an old way of keeping the writing fluid. I thought the same thing until I noticed the part on humans. The first time it appears before a lowercase letter, and the second is at the end of the chapter. Sane then realizes what she's getting at. You want to see the original copy, don't you? Artemis smiles with a devious look in her eyes. Those scrolls, scrolls should I remind you, are over 4,000 years old. They're probably locked, Sane pauses. They are, and you'd need my mother's signet ring to even be allowed in the same room with them, Artemis finishes his thought. Let me guess. You want me to steal the ring and bring you back a copy of the scroll, Sane whispers over to her. No, not before our trip, dear, Artemis smiles. I see why you chose me as a suitor. I work well to further your plans, don't I? Stop whining, Artemis complains, taking a drink of water. Artemis glares out the window, unable to understand why Sane is so sensitive about their courtship. It's as though one moment they're having an intelligent conversation and the next he's upset with her for something she didn't do. Similarly, Sane can't grasp how she can be so controlling and uncaring while finding a way to make it his fault or how she simply uses him as a puppet in a show only to further her own selfish goals. Sadly, neither of them care to talk about their problems with each other, offering instead to just bottle them up and ignore them. Here's your lobster bisque, my highness, the waitress informs the two brooding elves, and yours, my liege, she continues, setting down the two bowls. Thank you, Sane offers, smiling up at the waitress. Yes, um, thank you for the soup, Artemis adds awkwardly. My pleasure, the waitress responds before leaving. You aren't used to pleasantries, are you? Pleasantries? No, I guess not, Sane realizes, taking in a spoonful of the delicious lobster bisque. His eyes brighten as the perfectly blended lobster, tomatoes, wine, and various vegetables and spices dance upon his tongue. Is it to your liking, Sane? Artemis asks worriedly. Yes, thank you, Sane admits with a smile. Oh, good, Artemis conveys happily. So about the humans, what do you know about them? Such an open-ended question. Where to begin, Sane ponders over the thoughts rushing through his mind. How about starting with the most current information you can think of? She inquires. All right. Well, humans primarily live in two countries, the Kingdom of Bursh and Eastern Bursh. The Kingdom of Bursh is ironically ruled by the Council of Elders and has been for almost 200 years since the fall of their last king. 
Currently, this council consists of three elves, three dwarves, and three humans, whose names I do not know. Eastern Birch, on the other hand, is a purified country of only humans under the kingship of a man named Thorns Wake. Artemis swallows another spoonful of bisque. Why are they both called Birch? It was the name of an ancient king that rose to power after the First Great War. His bloodline died out 200 years ago, causing the once-joined kingdom to split, Saint answers between mouthfuls. So Eastern Birch doesn't care for other races then. But the kingdom of Birch is made up of three. Kind of. The kingdom is 65% humans, but everyone living there regardless of race is supposedly treated as equals. I wish all of Azurus was that way, Artemis sighs. I don't think I've ever even met a human or any races other than an elf or valley dwarf. Oh, an artisan who is a fawn. Your coronation as chosen princess will fix that, Saint interjects as a separate thought before continuing. From what I can gather, humans on average are just below six feet tall, with slightly less hair than dwarves and rounded ears. They sound awkward, Artemis thinks. Coming from a six-foot-tall elven princess, Saint chuckles. We aren't currently allies with the humans, but we aren't at odds with them either. Why do you think that is, Sane? After swallowing another bite of bisque, Sane answers, probably because Eastern Birch is self-sufficient and the kingdom doesn't share any borders with us. But we are allied with the gnomes, she points out, who are allied with the humans, giants, ice dwarves, mountain dwarves, and us, Sane elaborates on her point. Right, so why couldn't we open a line of friendly communication with the Kingdom of Birch to start? I suppose we could, Sane thinks deeply over the prospect. I think so, Artemis agrees, going deep into thought as well. Sane drinks down the last bit of soup from his bowl, letting out a sigh of satisfaction. What was that? It was a bit strange of you, Artemis asks with a curious smile. I was just finishing my soup, he responds, perplexed by her notion. Interesting. Well, once you're done, we can call it a day. It's only 14. We still have three hours left to our date, Artemis points out with a worried expression. Yes, but you threw your itinerary away, remember? We can still find something else to do. No thanks. We can pick up on our discussions tomorrow, though. It may not be that late, but I'd like to get some practice in before I go to bed, Sane encourages her. Fine. Artemis picks up her bowl, drinks down the last bit of soup, and smiles. Sane laughs as the whole restaurant looks upon the princess in shock. I think it's time to go, he points out as he reaches over and wipes a drip of soup from her cheek. Leaving the restaurant, Sane once again notices the guards, but this time he can only find one of them. Quickly, Sane moves in closer to Artemis and grabs her hand to hold it. Artemis turns to confront Sane with the fact that she does not want to have her hand held, Instead, Sane places a finger on her lips and stares her down with all seriousness. Then for a second, Sane notices another guard stalking them. He lightens up for a moment. Taking a deep breath, Sane loosens his grip on Artemis's hand. But just as he is about to let go, both figures, whom he presumed to be guards, disappear from view. Coming to a stop, he looks around him and Artemis. The place is quiet, eerily so. A figure then appears to his left another to his right. In a few moments, the two elves are surrounded by dark-robed figures. Sane pulls Artemis close, who makes a face of disapproval. Hand over the princess, one of the figures hisses. 
We are unarmed, so there's no need to get physical, the princess explains, beginning to grasp the situation. One of the figures moves closer to grab the princess, but is unprepared. Sane, in less than a second, grabs his dagger from under his shirt, slices the throat of the unassuming marauder, and returns it to his pocket. The figure drops to the ground, causing all the robed figures to take a step back in surprise. The speed, fluidity, and skill of Sane leave all of the robed figures in confusion with the occurrence. What just happened, one of them blurts out. He just dropped dead right there, another points out. But neither of them moved. Stop cowering in fear, it's just two royal elves unfamiliar with combat, one of the figures implies. We must have missed one of the guards, a skilled one at that. But even an elvish guard can't stop us all, he hisses. Artemis closes her eyes as the group of 15 or so individuals close in on them. Remind me to let you bring your weapons next time, she panics as she clutches Sane's chest. You guys are used to hunting in water, aren't you, Sane asks the robe figures. Don't listen to him. Kill the boy and we'll take the princess alive, the same figure hisses. A tip for next time. Do your research on who you're fighting, Sane offers. I am the son of Orestes Farce, a great warrior like his father before him, and the second prettiest face you'll see before you die. Sane leaps toward the first figure, who appears to be the mouthpiece of the group. Every member stops as the lead figure pulls his sword out just in time to block Sane's dagger. The raw speed of Sane's attack blows the hood off the person's head, revealing them to be merfolk. Recalling his training on the race of fishmen, he remembers exactly what his father taught him. Merfolk gain an increase in strength out of water, but their speed becomes greatly diminished. This means all land-based races except giants hold a disadvantage in strength, but an advantage in speed. The merman pushes forward in an attempt to throw the elven suitor off his balance, but with quick footing he spins around, cutting them down and taking his sword as he falls. Standing before the remaining seventeen merfolk, while two of their dead lay in the road, Sane twirls the weapon in his hands, a dagger in the right hand and a serrated fish sword in his left. Sane waits for an opening in the group. All at once, the merfolk take off their robes and unsheath their weapons. As their robes and cloaks flutter to the ground, Sane notices the wide variety of weapons they carry. Some carry tridents, others swords, some pikes, and one even has a harpoon gun. These merfolk came prepared for a fight, Sane realizes. If you have any honor, you will fight me before you go after the princess, Sane demands. All the merfolk step forward eager to slay the defiant blonde elf. After you, Sane offers confidently. One merman after another swarms him, but they don't fight with honor. Instead, while Sane fights against the majority, two of them sneak off and grab the princess. As she tries to scream, the webbed hand of one of the men begins to suffocate her. Completely helpless against the attacker, she kicks and scratches at them, but to no avail. She doesn't have time to think. All her air quickly turns to Carvin as she begins losing consciousness. All Artemis knows is that she's being carried off, and although she keeps struggling, she can't help but feel powerless against her assailants. Her feet and hands are free, but her lack of oxygen makes it impossible for her to move much longer. She somehow manages to stay conscious despite being suffocated, but all she can think about is her mother and how she'll miss her. Warm memories flood her mind, thoughts of when she was younger and her mother wasn't trying to groom her into being a queen yet. She thinks 
of her five half-siblings and her father, whom she rarely got to see any more. If I die here or fail to return, then the queen would have to produce another female as heir, Artemis considers. A sister I'd never get to meet. Just as Artemis loses all hope in the future, the two mermen carrying her drop to the ground, but Artemis stays suspended in the air. Looking up, she can see only the silhouette of what appears to be a blonde-haired elf. Someone caught her, but who? She wonders as she loses all consciousness. Artemis isn't sure when she next woke up, but it seems to be a few days later. As she lifts her heavy eyelids, one of her attendants comes over to her, standing respectfully as she awaits her orders. Artemis struggles out of her bed, with aches and pains all over. She only remembers one thing, her desire to see her family once more and nothing else. What happened? Artemis asks her attendant. Prince Sane saved you from a band of misfits who wanted to take you for ransom, the attendant informs her. Misfits? Yes, milady, she answers, bowing. Where is Prince Sane? Artemis asks. Recruiting six new guards. It seems the previous three were slain while serving you. They perished honorably and with valor. They died? she asked on the verge of tears. Yes, milady, the attendant confirms. Can I speak with Prince Sane at once? Artemis demands. You cannot. He has been appointed as chief guard over you, which means he now outranks you, and his orders are to keep you in the palace until further notice. Summon him for me immediately, then, Artemis demands sharply. Yes, milady, the attendant confirms with a bow. Four hours pass as Artemis awaits for Sane's return to the palace. While waiting, she wanders throughout the four top floors of the palace, pacing between its many rooms. Three of the top floors are identical, three connecting hallways per floor with twelve bedrooms each. Only royalty and the queen's advisors live in the palace, making it dreadfully boring at times. However, this left the entire top floor and many of the rooms on the third floor available for important guests, who are constantly coming and going. Before Sane arrives, Artemis is able to memorize the names of the 24 advisors on the second floor. Slowly, the palace doors creak open as Sane pushes through, wearing one of the white ruffled shirts they had bought the other day. His black pants, although new, had caked mud and dirt on them and his brown cloak was torn and tattered at its fringes. Slouching a single shoulder, Sane lets his bow and quiver slide off as Artemis gives him a look of fury before she turns and stomps off into the lobby of the palace. Sane follows after her, unsure of why his feet don't take him upstairs instead and save him from his upcoming torture. What took you so long? Artemis inquires of him. I was dealing with matters concerning your safety, my princess, Sane answers with a smirk. I knew that, she retorts with her arms crossed. So tell me, knight of Cortesh, what really happened yesterday? You don't remember? Sane asks in surprise. The details are fuzzy, she hesitates. Good, don't think anything of it, Sane urges her as he strolls over to the stairs. Were they really just a group of misfits, she asks him. I told you not to worry about it, he pressures again as he passes her on the way to the stairs. Why did you increase my guard from three to six? She asks, not wanting him to leave. All your guards were sharpshooters, which is why the misfits were able to easily overpower them. Now they'll work in pairs, a sharpshooter and an expert of the hand-to-hand -hand combat, Sane explains. 
Oh, I see, Sane. Thank you, Artemis conveys quietly as she wraps her arms around herself. My pleasure, Princess, Sane responds as he continues up the stairs to his room. Total losses. Elves, 3. Merfolk, 19. Battles. Sane Farce versus a band of Merfolk win. Sane manages to dispatch all the Merfolk himself and save the Princess of Kelsic. Thank you for listening to The Legend of Azerus, Dragonborn, written by Corey E. Slane. If you like this content, consider buying a physical copy on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can become a supporter. Support the podcast with a small monthly donation to sustain future episodes. Thanks again for listening, and tune in next time for more chapters of The Legend of Azerus, Dragonborn.